Welcome to Checkpoints. This is a show about video games, the people who play them and the people who make them. For the past 128 episodes, guests on the show have talked about the games that shape their lives, games that have inspired them, games that have forged connections and games that have soothed wounds. And today that guest is the host of Checkpoints, Declan Deneen. I'm Violet Berlin and I love this podcast. I've listened to it for a long time and I've sometimes wondered when I've been listening where the questions have come from and what Declan would say if the same questions were fired back at him. Then, after I was a guest on the show myself a little while back, I put the suggestion to Declan that he should swap places and be questioned himself. I think Declan was a bit surprised and not that keen, but... As he was approaching the last show, 128, the magic geeky number, he got back in touch and he said he thought the idea might work as an epilogue to the very final podcast. I'm so pleased he said he'd do it. It seems a really fitting way to round off a truly tremendous series and he has some great stories that also make sense of why he's made this podcast at all and where his questions come from in the first place. And as an added bonus, and what you might expect from a writer and a magician, which are Declan's real jobs, of course, there is a twist right at the end of the show. So here's Checkpoints with Declan Deneen. introduce people the very first thing you tend to say and I don't even need to tell you this Mm -hmm. is you say tell us a bit about yourself now it might seem a bit odd because obviously you're the checkpoints guy yes who everyone listening to this podcast will know who you are and I thought it would be a good idea just to jump in with the very first question okay which as you well know (laughs) is what was your first game your first memory of playing a game I've been thinking about this all day like not just this question but doing this and I feel like I should have better answers. Like, I'm, I'm like, surely after doing this for so long, I would have answers to all these questions. And I don't. I really don't. I have very vague memories of lots of games and always at other people's houses or at other places. So, like, I've got memories of playing on an Atari 2600 at one of my cousin's houses and playing uh, Donkey Kong Jr., where you're kind of like jumping on vines. And I didn't like it. It was like a weird joystick thing. And also my mum, my mum was a social worker. So she worked in a children's home. And I would often just end up staying there. Like if she was working a night shift or something and my dad was working, I'd just stay over and I'd hang out there quite a lot in my youth. And they had an Amstrad. And I don't know what type of Amstrad it was. It was green screen anyway. And you had to wait for tapes to load. And I would happily wait for the tapes to load. And I remember there was a, a Robin Hood game on that that had proper speech synthesis as well, which was kind of mind-blowing at the time. I can't say for sure which one of those was my first game. I, I don't know. But what I can say for sure is that the Master System was my first console. And that was the first sort of game that was like, this is my game. And it came with Alex Kidd packed in. And I absolutely love that game. I had a Master System with Alex Kidd built in. I don't remember it that well. It's not a brilliant game. But very sort of working class family who didn't have an awful lot of money. That mass system was a big deal for my house. I'm the youngest of seven kids. We've got a massive Irish Catholic family. But 
I'm in a weird position where there was six brothers and sisters, one after the other, pretty much once a year, and then 10 years, and then me. So I have this massive family, but I was also kind of an only child, or the way I was brought up at least. Like, and a lot of my brothers and sisters were kind of proxy other parents, basically. But Alex Kidd was the first game I had, and it was pretty much the only game I had. I mean, it was probably a couple of months, but in my memory, it was forever. And I was so obsessed. I played that so much, I could complete the first level of Alex Kidd with the TV turned off. I just, I had it completely memorised. You mean you were actually playing it without being able to see what was going on? Yeah, I could complete the first level essentially blindfolded. I'd just turn the TV off and just play through it. Because, you know, it's it's an 8-bit math system game. There's no save points. Every time you play, you start from the beginning again. So I played that level literally, I'd say, close to a thousand times probably by that point. The bosses in Alex Kidd were uh, Fist Head. I'm sure he wasn't called Fist Head. <laughs> Paper Head and Scissor Head. They were Jankendo. That was their names because it's the, the mm. Rock Paper Scissors Jankendo thing. And uh, I discovered through literally playing it so much that I would just try anything that if you hit pause at exactly the right point while this boss was loading in, their choice would appear above them so you could kind of game the game. I don't understand, like, you sometimes watch speedrunners, and you're like, how on earth does anyone discover these things? And it's because that was the only game I had, so I would just do everything with it. And even now, like, I can, I, I know all of the boss's moves. Now, I've still got those kind of hardwired into my brain, like Stonehead is stone scissors, and then it's scissors paper, and then it's paper paper. That's how you beat the three big bosses. Like, and that's ridiculous. That's, like, almost 30 years ago, probably. So yeah, that was a big deal for me, Alex Kidd. So by the end, how long did it actually take you to finish the game from start to finish? Even though I played it so much, actually finishing it was a whole other thing. There's there's like a hidden thing in Alex Kidd. It's a very rote game. You go through level by level, but there is a mention of a secret letter, like a, a lost letter. And I completed the game you know, countless times by this point, but I was never able to find this lost letter. And I remember one, I think it was Easter or something, I was away in Ireland for a weekend, like on a a family holiday. And I came home and my my older brother, Kieran, who was probably, I don't know, late 20s by that point, um, big sort of figure in my life. And he had found the letter and I was like, no, and I was genuinely like, you didn't. How on earth did you do that? And and he had, he he showed me this route where you in, in the blue castle, you go up a ladder right in the hidden corner, which you never would imagine going there any other way. And I was just, I, I could not believe it. What did it do? I don't even remember what it did. I don't remember what purpose it served, but that was like the the final part of it. And that was kind of, yeah, it kind of drifted off then. I started playing other games, thankfully. That must have been a really bonding moment with your Oh, God, yeah, it really was. It really was. And I remember being, not frustrated, that's the wrong word, but because he was like the only person in my family, basically, that had any interest in games, I would always want to play games with him or at least, you know, like take it in turns or whatever, especially because he was much older and like much cooler. Did you play with just your brother or were the friends as well? played with it was in primary school that i got it so i must have been like 10 or 11 and there was a kid in the year above me called thomas ellis i mean i'm going to illustrate now as i answer all these questions that all of the questions that i usually ask in the show are entirely based on my own experiences so i'm looking for parallels so i bonded with this kid uh, thomas um when we were about he was a year older than me so i was nine he was maybe 10 in primary school because he had a math system as well so we could and he had loads more games so that was like brilliant we can swap games you can play games together and stuff i remember going into town with thomas which was a big deal because we lived on this council estate in in newport and we would go into town on a saturday just to play arcade games in like oh god the dodgiest places like and this is like a 10 year old kid 
going into a pool hall called Mr. Q's, which God knows the kind of depravity going on there. I didn't care because they had Final Fight and Cadillacs and Dinosaurs and Shinobi and stuff or like an old video shop or a kebab shop, a taxi rank, I remember. And it was just, that was my first introduction to like bigger games. I'm like, oh my God, games can be so good because at that point, like arcades were just so much better than anything you could get at home, you know? Yeah, I remember um, chip shops with just what was ever on the on in the shop on the corner. I'm kind of sad they don't do that anymore. Like I would, I would still probably just if there was a like a kebab shop or something that had, I don't know, a Street Fighter cabinet instead of a fruit machine, I'd be well into that. Although I'm sure, like me playing the game isn't going to you know make them as much money as having a little fruit machine in the corner. I don't know because everyone's got phones nowadays, aren't they? Always, I suppose. I mean, there's something kind of neat about it, though. Because I saw um, an arcade game. I'm trying to think what it was. It was a Star Wars game in a, a trendy coffee shop in Shoreditch. Okay. And, like, nobody was on it. Depends what game it was, though, because yeah. if it was, like, a rubbish... Like, there's that one where you kind of... You use the lightsaber as a joystick, and that always seems Wasn't a bit that to me. Okay, right. <laughs> Maybe it was something better. So here's the question. You've asked, you know, what was the first game you've played uh-huh. to, like, what, 127 people 127. plus? 128. 128. And was there, is there any crossover, or have you had unique answers? Oh, that's interesting. I don't know. I think, like, I've made this, this has become, like, a running joke, and I'm, I'm not even sure it, it counts as a joke, that all of the Americans I've spoken to, they get a Nintendo at some point. It was, like, a government program, so everybody had, <laughs> like... Super Mario was a pivotal kind of early game for them, which never really was the case for me. And I, I have, I, met, I know people have talked about Super Mario being an important game for them at some point. But in terms of first, I think it's been pretty varied. There's definitely crossover where some people have had the same experience, depending on what their first computer was. I know a lot of people who whose parents had a Mac, they would play stuff like Gorillas Bass or something, some weird proto game, or a lot of early DOS games as well. But not as much as I thought. And that was one of the things I was kind of, I wasn't worried about it. But one of the things I was thinking about when starting the show was, are everybody's checkpoints going to be the same? Is it always going to be Super Mario and Zelda and, you know... Pac-Man. Pac-Man, Space Invaders, all that sort of stuff. And, and it's been surprisingly diverse. Like, there's been games that have come up that kind of surprised me uh, in terms of how pivotal they are to a large portion of people like command and conquer is massive like loads of people have mentioned that as being a pivotal game and i never would have suspected that being an age of empires you know these kind of um adventure not adventure games what what's the strategy strategy games yeah the pc strategy games playing much more of a role was command and conquer pivotal for you uh no no i mean i did play it i had it at some point um and it was all right but i didn't i don't remember being particularly wowed by it but i came to pc like quite late you know, I I didn't get a PC until I was about fourteen or fifteen or something. And... <laughs> I don't think that's very late. Well, I no, I know, quite... <laughs> but as in like that was my very first computer. Like yeah. I, I never had like a Spectrum or a mm-hmm. Commodore or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So I, I, in terms of the games that were out when I got it, it was you know stuff like Half Life and Quake and stuff. Those are the games that I was I would have been playing. Although I'm pretty sure my first PC wasn't good enough to run. Uh, Half-Life properly. But. I see. So you're really saying that Command & Conquer was quite an old game then by the time you got yeah. your PC. I mean, I, yeah, I get that. Probably yeah. not old. Probably like two or three years old. But by that, you know, yeah. at that point in your life, two or three years is forever, mm-hmm. you know? That is old in gaming terms. Yeah. More than that, surely. I mean, short of looking up Wikipedia and seeing exactly when they came out. Because... Oh, I would never look up Because, <laughs> um, yeah, because Command & Conquer was pretty pivotal for me. And then... By the time it was all Half-Life and everything, 
it feels like quite a big gap, but yeah, mm. I, I, I I do not remember, but I know mm. it was like a big deal. And this is uh, maybe maybe this is pointless me going into this, but I'm going to go into it anyway. One of my favorite favorite things about um, doing the show is speaking to people from all over the world. That that's that was one of the unexpected highlights is getting perspectives from people in other countries. And one of my favorites was uh, Ori Takamura. His name sounds like he's Japanese. He's actually Russian and he grew up in Russia and how much they loved Red Alert. And it never occurred to me before that this kind of war game with the Russians as the baddies, they were like, brilliant. I get to play as the Russians in multiplayer. Like that was a thing. I, th- I find that fascinating. So having spoken to 128 we've established different people you must have started seeing patterns and building theories <laughs> no you like, must have for example I mean, okay there must be venn diagrams in your mind where people cross this person's like this person and they both like the same game and so forth or ah, okay that's quite interesting i don't think so i mean to be honest i've never i've never consciously thought about it i don't think certainly in terms of like one of the vague ideas of the show is i would speak to people who've created games and you would see from the games that they played growing up that these sort of formative games would then reveal themselves in their work and i find that much less true than i first expected in terms of uh, zach gage is a, is a good example who who makes incredible intricate puzzle games like space chem and opus magnum and uh his formative games were never really puzzle games. And also he kind of wasn't that into games by the time he was... Now he's making them... I've noticed that the act of making games has replaced a lot of the joy of playing games. You know, that like game development is a game in itself. The kind of programming and the problem solving of it and figuring out how everything's going to work. For a lot of people that seems to have replaced a lot of the love of, of playing the games. I'm keen to find these patterns. So okay. um, I guess you might call them tropes of, say, the people who have the techie dads or the people who oh, have... Oh, yes. The, okay. The, you got it. Yeah, no, that, that is definitely a thing. The parents who work in some sort of tech industry or engineering is is a, a very common trope. Their, their early game experiences will be PC. They'll be DOS games and Mac games and stuff like that. That is definitely a, a, a trope then, like a typecast. That's the wrong a word. A recurrent theme, Recurrent theme, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but I, I, I genuinely I don't know if that necessarily translates as a specific path that those people then all go on to do this type of thing. I don't feel like that's uh, that's part of it. Some interesting things I've noticed, which I wasn't expecting to notice. A lot of particularly game developers have backgrounds in music. They they were in bands and they they have that that love of getting together with people and making something, which I think does definitely feed in like the feed into um, game development, you know, especially indie development where you're just a small group of people and you, you're creating something. I, I wonder if I may be projecting that because I was in bands, so I'm always using that analogy of like, especially, you know, because of the kind of prevalence of indie games now, you are definitely, there are very specific scenes. There is a New York game development scene, there's an LA scene, there's a London scene, there's a, a Glasgow and a Dundee theme, you know. But yeah, maybe, maybe that's just stretching it because that's just the world that I'm more familiar with maybe. Maybe I'm just like pushing you for these, you know, kind of patterns you know and connections. Patterns? Well, the thing is, I guess I think of it like this. If you interviewed 128 of the world's most successful people, you could then write a book, like how to copy the habits okay, of the world's okay. most successful people, couldn't you, right? Because yeah, yeah, you would yeah. have maybe potentially, you may not have learnt lessons, but you could draw a thesis from it. So I'm just thinking that something 
it must have affected you that you've like interviewed 128 of the world's greatest games luminaries. I can't say it, luminaries, luminaries. <laughs> um, so what have you drawn from that? I want some reflection here. Declan. Yeah, I don't, I don't <laughs> think, I'm not convinced that there is any, I think the one thing I would have drawn from it is how everyone is different. There is no path. Like a, a lot of the most successful people have just been lucky. Like like Richard Gary, for instance, he is just, he, he was drawn to those kind of games, and you know he was a big fan of Dungeons and Dragons, and the the timing of it was perfect. That when he made his own RPG, that was it was very basic, you know, computers, and it was a, the best he could do with the tools at the time. And then as the tools grew, his he could then you know get closer to the things he did, and he went on to create Ultima and create a new genre essentially. And I've noticed that a lot. Like everyone seems to fall into it from different places. Like I think because of the the age group, I suppose the the generation I'm in and the ones above it, and maybe like one below it. But then games become more prevalent after that. But everyone has kind of grown up with games, so there there has never been a path. I think now. There definitely is. There is much more of a, you do this and you do this and you go and study that and then you, you know, try and make an indie game, put it on itch or something. Whereas everyone I feel like I've spoken to, the path in has been completely obscured because it is, because there was no path, because it was still, a, you know, a burgeoning industry. So like, you know, I've spoken to a lot of like mobile developers who just kind of, they, they were there at the right place at the right time. Like Zach Gage, I think is a, incredible video game designer and he's a, a huge success on um on the app store in particular and that was just you know he he was there at the right place at the right time not to say that he wouldn't necessarily have gone on to the success that he has since but the fact that he was there right when it started and was able to make really interesting things that has been a recurrent theme it's just people following their interests and not necessarily thinking this is how i do games it's like oh i guess i can do games and then, you know, from there on, it's uh, the rest is history. So getting back to your story, okay. I think we left it when you were 13 or 14 yeah, and yeah. you were playing games now in the arcades. What happened next? Um, it was magazines were a big thing. Magazines were the first sort of thing that made me sort of feel like it was a sort of bigger world, a broader world. And I was obsessed with the magazines. Every month, sight unseen, I would buy CVG and Me Machines and eventually Nintendo Magazine System and Me Machine Sega, which were, like, really expensive. And I don't know where I got the money for those. My pocket money was, like, £1.50 or £2 a week or something. And the mags were, like, three or four quid every month. So I have no idea how I afforded them, but, but I did somehow. And they stayed with me through all of my teenage years as well. They were all... I had, like, a full bookshelf full of magazines that I would always go back to. Do you still have them? Probably, somewhere, yeah. I mean, I don't really look back on them as sort of treasured things that I'd like to look at now, I guess. But again, it was a part of it was because because um, I didn't have a lot of money. So I eventually got a Super Nintendo, which was incredible. I got a Super Nintendo with Lemmings and Super Mario World. And Lemmings was one of those ones that kids in school would, like who had Amigas and stuff would talk about Lemmings and how amazing. And I, I, I only knew of it from magazines. So it's a weird game to get straight away on a Super Nintendo. But it was like, I just, I want to... I want to get with those cool kids. Uh, and it was all right. It was quite good. It was quite a good port. And sort of for the next couple of years, I guess, I can't remember the timelines, but there was a certain point where a shop opened in Newport that did trade-ins, which was the first place ever you could do trade-ins. So I, I, I basically lived on trading games and rental games. There was a, a guy who would come to our estate with, in a van 
think it was every Thursday, he gave like a printed out A4 sheet of all the games you could rent and you get them for a week and stuff. So I would get that or I would go into town and I'd look at games available for trading and I would go home and I would go through all of my magazines to make sure like I was making the correct decision. I would read reviews again and again because it'd always be like weird games that someone would trade in. I'm like, ooh, I don't know what that game is. I'm going to go home and I'm going to research that. I think because I'd been burned as a kid playing bad mass system games. There's a game called Ghost House I remember getting and being really excited about it and it was terrible. And it's actually not as bad now. I played it again and went through emulation. But at the time I remember thinking, oh, that was a terrible choice. And I think that burned me from then on. The magazines were like my internet basically. So I was like, oh, maybe I can play this game. I'll wait and see what the reviews are like and what the previews are like. And I wish I had put that much effort into my schoolwork at the time. Like I had a proper system of making sure I was getting the right games and stuff. But they cost so much money, didn't they? Yeah. So every yeah. decision was... You know, house buying yeah. decision. <laughs> but, I, but I was obsessed. Like, I, I can't stress enough how much... As soon as I got into video games, I was properly obsessed. Like, that was a huge part of everything I did. Like, I, I loved films and I loved TV. I watched a lot of TV and comics. But games were, like, my, my number one thing. To the point where, especially arcades... So this before I got the Super Nintendo and I said, I'd go into town with Thomas and I'd play in arcades. And I started going on my own and... Like, after school, I'd just go in. Whatever money I had, I'd spend. And I remember one day specifically playing Final Fight, which, like, I loved. I think it was probably my favourite game as a kid. I thought it was amazing. And I had... you get, like, a couple of pounds, I guess. So, like, enough to get a bus back there and home, probably go swimming, and then a pound or two for the arcades. And I remember playing Final Fight, and I got so far in it, and I couldn't stop playing. And I was with my friend Mark, and he was like, no, I've, I've got to go home. I need to go home. I was like, no, I, I can't stop. I need to keep playing. And then I died and I only had my bus fare left. I was like, I don't care. And he was like, oh, no, I, 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 what are you doing? You can't do that. I was like, no, I need to keep going. And he just left. He went home. He got the bus home. And I just put all of the money I had into the machine to keep playing. I got quite far. And then afterwards, it was like it was like coming down like from a trip or something. I was like, oh, God, what have I done? Cause, and then I had to walk home, which, I mean, it, it's not far. But in my 10-year-old life, it was it was like I'd never done it before and it was terrifying. Uh, and I got in so much trouble. Like that's one of the, I was a relatively good kid. I kind of kept to myself, but that was one of the few times where I properly got in so much trouble because I'd spent all of my money on the arcades. Like it was your, a proper junkie for Were it. your parents like worried because you were back home late and stuff as well? Or? Well, as soon as Mark got home, he told his mum that I had walked home and spent my money on Final Fight. So they knew everything. He grasped me up straight away. So yeah, I got in loads of trouble. And like, understandably so, I was like walking home. I didn't really know the way. I was probably walking along the like, main roads and stuff. I was 10, so I can imagine why my mum would be uh, upset. Um, but yeah, it didn't stop me. I was still back. I almost missed my confirmation because I was playing Street Fighter 2. I went straight after school to play that. You were obsessed. Yeah. It was just the fact that I was I was obsessed with them. And I don't have a way of quantifying it I suppose but it was just that was like and and you you play a part in this Violet because that was that was the same sort of era that you know there was bad influence and there was Games Master and it was the kind of the they felt like natural extensions of of the magazines and it was this kind of community of of people who liked games and it was still very small I felt a bit kind of I would never talk about it to anyone except for like a few sort of close friends that were also into it uh, like my friend Thomas, I remember we went to the Future Entertainment show. His dad drove us up to Birmingham to go to that and because they, they had a free play arcade, which was like, oh my God, this is the greatest thing in the world. And it then subsequently became Games Master Live, 
or maybe it was the other way around. I don't remember. But that was like a huge thing. That was like you know my first con, so to speak. I, I remember I won. Uh, there was there was a Sega bus that they parked up there. That was one of the attractions, and it had the upper level was Sonic Two competitions, and I, I won the Sonic Two competition, and I won a T-shirt that I wore for way too long. It was an awful T-shirt as well, but it was just a, something I was weirdly proud of. Um, and that that was actually maybe that this is a thing I've, I've thought about this in the past that one of the reasons I was maybe so obsessed with them is because like I, I, I've got uh, arthritis I've had rheumatoid arthritis in certainly my right knee since I was about four like I've always had it and then as I've got older it's kind of spread so now I've pretty much got it in my my knees my uh, ankles my elbows and stuff it's never been like a huge problem for me you know I don't feel like it's, it's stopped me doing anything but it meant I was always really bad at sports. Like I was always last picked. There was always the worst at sports because I've got I've got a disease basically. But it's not a disease that you would notice. So it's, it's kind of hard. But I, I am I'm a very competitive person. I'm I was really good at video games. Like as I, I could play Alice Kid with the screens and stuff. And that I feel like that maybe fed into it a little bit into why I was so obsessed with these games. Is that because I couldn't do you know, the same things that a lot of other kids around me were doing. Like, I could, I could do them, but I was always just worse than everyone else. So it, it was kind of like the worst of both worlds. I wasn't like, <laughs> me saying as, as though being in a wheelchair would be better, but at least that's like, there is something wrong with that kid, so that's fine. Whereas I was, I appeared normal, but I was just bad at everything. Um, so I think the fact that I could be really good at games is like a big draw and one of the reasons I liked them so much. Did it have kind of, kind of cachet with your friends absolutely not no not at mm. all um no <laughs> but stuff like you know the the magazines and the 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 tv shows and these live events that that was where i felt like okay i can i can do that like i'm that they're impressed by that at least these are my people these are my people exactly yeah. exactly mm-hmm. so then presumably you went on to university did you take your love of gaming nope. in your magazines with you? No. Oh, no, it's way more complicated oh. than that. Um, okay. It's not that complicated. Again, like, I I shape these questions based on my own life experience. And the kind of the, the time prior to university is is a proper kind of pivotal moment in, in how I think about the show as well. Because when I was... So I carried on playing games and I went to high school and everyone... I met more people who were into games and I could swap games and this was really good. And then when I hit 16, I'd been learning to play electric guitar and I was asked to be part of a band with my friends Joseph and John. Uh, we were terrible. But my brother, my eldest brother, who I'd played Alex Kid with before, he was running a, a music bar in Newport, Le Pub. In fact, this is the T-shirt I'm wearing. So when I was like 16, I started working in this really cool music bar and I worked there for, I don't know, six or seven years after that, doing everything. I was a DJ, I cleaned, I was a bartender, like everything you can imagine in that pub I did. And so because it was a music bar, it was full of like musos, there was live gigs every week. So that became part of my life way more than games. And when I got the opportunity to play in this band with some friends in school, I sold all the game stuff that I had. I bought a Nintendo 64 on day one. I had saved up my money Everyone else I knew, uh, my friend Ben had got like a Saturn and he would make fun of me. Like, a Saturn, come on. <laughs> and, you know, this is when PlayStation was starting to become a cool thing. I was like, no, nah, I'm waiting for the Nintendo 64. And Nintendo have done me well. And I remember getting it and just being completely blown away. I went, actually, I went directly to the pub and I plugged it into the TV downstairs. Like the pub was closed and just sat being like, oh, my God, this is incredible. 
Um, and then literally probably about a year later, I discovered guitars. I was in bands, so I don't need any of that. Sold all of it, everything I had, bought an amplifier and just didn't really do games at all. All through sort of sixth form, I was, I was in a band and then some guys in the pub who were in quite a cool band asked me to join their band because they'd seen me play with my friends. And I said, yeah, because they were a really good band and they were kind of the, the hot tip for the, the next hip new thing. And I remember my friends at the time being really angry with me and me being like, but I can do both. But that wasn't, I mean, we're, we're all best of friends now, but at the time it was like, oh, this is awkward. I didn't mean to, I just want to do both. But I didn't. I ended up sticking with the kind of cooler band. That's that's unfair. But, you know, the potentially this could be my job. Newport was kind of just coming off the back of being the new Seattle and it was still kind of maybe this is a thing I could do. Like I wasn't a very good guitarist, but I knew a lot of people and the band were really good and it was, I don't know, why not? And so, and it was coming up to university time and I was like, mm, I don't know, maybe I will, maybe I won't, maybe I'll stick and do the band. Like, do you know, I'll just, I'll go to Cardiff because that's nearby and then I can do the band and I can do, go to uni and everything will be great. And then that kind of year, like 1999 was a really, I don't want to say bad, it was just, it was a, a an eventful year because I, I'd broken up with my first girlfriend. I was feeling a bit sad, but I was like, well, I'm in this cool band and we're going to get signed and it's going to be fine. And then... All the way through school, I'd always had consistently just really good grades. And I'd never, it feels weird to say it, but I, I felt like I'd never really applied myself. It was just, I was just kind of good at that sort of stuff. I was good at studying. I was good at learning things. To the point where I was kind of quite lackadaisical about the whole thing. Like, uh, and my A-levels, I was doing fine. I got all A's in my mock A-levels. So I was like, oh, I'm definitely getting to Cardiff. I needed to have like two A's and a B. So that'd be fine. Uh, and I got a C and two Ds in my level results. Um, and literally, like, when they were handed to me, I was like, oh, no, this is this is a mistake. <laughs> like, I genuinely just handed it back, saying, that's, that's not, I don't get Cs and Ds, that's ridiculous. And I'm like, no, no, this is definitely correct. And just, I remember laying outside of the school, being like, what the fuck? Like, everything is, all of my plans are ruined now. I need to make a choice. So I decided I would stay in Newport, and I would do the band, and I'd go to college, and I'd resit. And so I went to college for a few months and it was awful because it was, I was with kids that were like younger than me. I was like, I should be in uni now. I should be like living the life and I'm here just doing school stuff again. And about three or four months into that, my dad died. Um, he, he'd always been kind of sick. He, he kind of worked himself really hard. And, but he was very young. He was like 63 or something. Um, and I was like, oh man. In, in a way it was kind of like, well, fuck it. I'm doing nothing. And I just dropped out of uni, I dropped out of college rather, and I was just not really doing anything. And all of my friends had left as well. That was the other hard thing. They were like, all at university. Everyone else went to mm. university and I was just like the guy left behind. Um, but thankfully, my uh, thankfully my, my best mate at the time, uh, Dave, he dropped out pretty soon after. <laughs> uh, Thanks, Dave. Yeah. So And, and his mum had a house in Newport and he was like, do you want to come and live with me? And I was like, yeah, that'd be amazing. So like 18, I, st I, I moved out and lived with Dave. But prior to that, after my dad's dying, I was properly like, I had no friends around. I wasn't in college. I, I worked in the pub, but I was just like weekend shifts. And I was still on the band as well, which is, you know, that was still good. But I didn't really have anything going on. And Dave said, oh, I've got my old N64 if you want that. And I was like, oh, all right. And I just, I pretty like, again, this is youth. So maybe it feels like, it feels like a long time. It was maybe only a month or two, but I pretty much just sat in my room and played Tony Hawk's Pro Skater on the Nintendo 64. Just that was that was my life for about a month or two. And it was 
amazing. It was such a, a cathartic, wonderful experience because, you know, the family was, you know, my, my dad had been sick and it was, you know, it wasn't unexpected necessarily that he died, even though he died very suddenly. Um, and that was just, that's what I did. I just sat and played Tony Hawk's Pro Skater and it was a proper like, oh man, I love video games. And so then when I moved in with Dave, that was, I took that with me. That was, that was like me going to university. It was like, I spent two years living with Dave, just getting stoned and drunk and playing video games. Um, and that was definitely like, that was a big part of my life through that, that period. But that, that's really um, efficient, isn't it? Because you got the entire university experience without having mm-hmm. to pay any fees. Yep. Oh, no, actually, <laughs> no, that's not true because uh, I, I missed that a bit of the story. Before I went to university, uh, before I went to college, rather, I just, I thought, oh, I'll just, I'll go in through clearing. I'll do clearing. Mm-hmm. I'll get in somewhere. And I got into the University of Glamorgan which is, I, I don't know, maybe it's a fine school. It was not my first choice. The only reason I decided to go there was that it was local and I could still do the band because the band was still, we were still poised to be the next big thing. I went there for four days and had to commute because I went through clearing. I don't know if anywhere to stay and it was close enough that I could commute. Where, where is it? Glamorgan, it's just north of Newport, in between Newport and Cardiff, okay. up in the valleys. Um and it was just, it was just grim. It was just wasn't what I wanted. The course wasn't really what I wanted, and so I just dropped out. But I'd applied for my student loan, and every whatever it was, four months, I got my next instalment of my student loan. So I just I bought an amazing guitar, like a really good guitar, <laughs> an amazing vintage Marshall amp. I had a proper rack of pedals because the band I was in was uh, like a proper really pretentious post-rock band so it was like all 15 minute symphonies no singing sat on the stage backs to the audience like really uh amazing but properly wanky stuff and yeah so i i did i fully got my loan and i i'm still paying for that to this day uh, no have well, you still- I, I did go to university eventually so i had like another loan right. on top of that as but well have you still got the guitar oh god yes oh, well, that's it's a right. thing of pure beauty yeah, yeah so um you had your experience it was your tony hawk's era if yes. you like and and that's a big game isn't it oh uh, that's like oh, so good yeah. it's still one of my favorite video game series and i am amazing at it like <laughs> tony hawk's project 8 was the last one i played on the xbox 360 there are levels in that where i was top 10 in the world for like scores like i'm really because i played everyone and i played it to death and that first one in particular even though it was on the n64 the, the N- it was like a proper pivotal thing i think i've played that game a bit i recall it as being kind of exhilarating oh it's an amazing exhilarating game yeah. it's amazing because it's it's that kind of um, that perfect risk reward thing it's uh it's kind of like pinball like I, I genuinely do think that it's one of like the most perfect games and i dearly wish they would get somebody good to make new ones because the way you kind of explore the world is purely through your skateboard and what you can do on your skateboard and it's making the longest line and knowing how long you can last and i oh, can i keep going when the kind of balance beam is going all over the place and being able to hold it and then land it like oh and I think part of that is also the the kind of the arthritis thing. Like I would have loved to have been able to skateboard, but I just I've got bad knees. Like my knees would literally just pop out a joint if I tried to do it pop and ollie. Um, and I could, but I could live that through the game, and it was just yeah, it was absolutely amazing. So what happened next then? So here we are, sort of wasting away 
your sort of university oh loan. i had a brilliant time. having a sorry having a brilliant yeah, time a brilliant on your time. university loan having an excellent time but your band is kind of on the cusp of things the whole time i'm assuming here and it's yeah, quite exciting it quite like you, you you're kind of like yeah there was a day when it all kind of went to shit because there was uh i mean I'm, I'm probably, I'm, I'm definitely exaggerating and embellishing on these stories because that's what everybody does when they, when they remember. But like we, we were kind of seen as the hot new band and there was loads of A&R people that came to see us. We released a, a single as part of this compilation on a local record label. Um, and then, and there was another band that had just started kind of a year or two after us that was, you know, they were also seen as being like, oh, these these guys are quite cool, and we're like, yeah, they're all right, but like, we're we're better, and we, you know, we played around the country, we played at a festival in North Wales, uh, like a prop, and it was like, you know, it was, I felt like this is we're doing it here, and then one day I remember coming into the pub, and it was a Wednesday because that was when the music mags came out, because like there was always a, every new music magazine would come out on a Wednesday, and they'd always be in the pub, and. Uh, Terrace, this other band from Newport, were on the cover. The lead singer was on the cover of the NME. Like, the week before, they were just another band that we were hanging out with, and then suddenly he's on the cover of the NME, like, out of nowhere. And we were all like, uh, what the fuck has yeah. happened here? Because I remember, that, like, I think a, a month or two before that, Stereolab, you know the band Stereolab? Mm-hmm. Love Stereolab. They were coming to play in TJ's, and we were the support slot, which was, like, amazing. Got to play with Stereolab. Uh, but then Terrace snuck in as an extra support, and we're like, that's a bit cheeky, but okay, whatever. We're still the second support. And then a week later on the cover of the NME, and we couldn't believe it. And I think, I can't remember the guy's, the lead singer's name. And he actually, he grew up on the same estate as me, but I, I never knew him, really. And he just he just gave great interview. He was just, he was endless sound bites. Uh, like, you can see why they would put him on the cover. Um, but yeah, that, so that never really panned out. So I just sat at home when I played... I got a PlayStation 2 purely. The only reason I got a PlayStation 2 was because of Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 3. That was the only reason I got it. And it was through that, actually, during that time that I started getting into forums. Um, and that's when I really properly, my kind of nascent sort of younger self's love of video games became a fully blown like part of my identity because uh, I discovered the Edge forums, which was a really, I was like 19 that was a really properly and continues to this day to be like an, an important part of of my life. Not the Edge Forums now, but the, the people I met through that, you know. I mean, that's how I knew you, because my, my friend Raph that I met on the Edge Forum, like, God knows, 20 years ago. Several of the people I've had on the show, including, like, the editor of Eurogamer and video games analysts and, you know, uh, teachers at the New York Game Center and stuff, they're all people I met on video game forums when I was 19, and that was the new magazines. It was discovering my people all over again, but in a much more tangible sense. Like because it was a for- it was the first forum that I was like, oh, I I know what everyone's talking about, and I think it was for everybody there as well. It was at that time where everyone was like, oh shit, we can talk about this stuff that I play that I did when I was younger, and everyone is like really into it, and it was so exciting. Forums can get really intimate, can't they? Mm. They can be even though it's a group of people, it can feel sort of intimate and connected and. You're not the only person I know who was on that Edge forum, and it clearly was. It reminds me of when you meet women and they all went to the same NTC childbirthing group yes, or something. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and it really, like, it really felt like a special thing. And like, as someone who had grown up holding video game magazines in like such high regard, the fact that you know I got to know 
people who worked on like Superplay, and I got to know the current staff of Edge, um, like 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 Steve, Steve who's who's been on the show. He was episode number two, in fact. He's a very good friend. Um, he. The reason I got to know Steve was because I knew him through the Edge forum, and at the time MSN was a big deal, so everyone was chatting on MSN. And because of my years playing in bands and my sincere love of music, I recognised that his email address was the name of an obscure track of an obscure band called Seafood. And that was like, he was like, oh my God, nobody's ever noticed that before. And I remember like in my kind of nascent sort of 19 year old self being like oh, i've impressed one of the cool kids uh, and we became really good friends after that and stuff like that was just like insane to me because off the back of that i got to like i would go and see because future was all in bath so i would go to bath and go to hang out with steve and we would play like halo on it he had a big projector screen i remember and it was like this is amazing me and my friend ben one day and my friend dan became really good close really close and it just, it just it became so intoxicating so was that when you got into all your music games? Yes, yes. Because I know Steve's really into his yes. um, Bimani. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, that was the that was DDR, mm-hmm. um, and it was Steve that got me into DDR. And because I had this PlayStation, I was like, "This is amazing!" So I'm going to buy a dance mat. And I remember bringing it home, and you know, I was, I was 19. I was in the pub all the time, but I was like, I was the guy who had the dance mat, and everyone everyone took the piss out of me. Uh, and then within two or three months, everyone loved it. Everyone was into it. My friend Ben was like so into it. Like he didn't even have a dance mat. He would practice at his mum's house to the point where I think I think actually this was on a the unaired pilot episode of Checkpoint. I spoke to Ben and he talked about dancing so much on a fake dance mat that uh, his neighbours called like the it wasn't the police. It was like. Uh, I don't know who you'd call for like noise disturbances, and he was oh, it was it was the pipes. It, was, it wasn't it wasn't me dancing with my top off. Uh, and we would commute. We would go to like Barry Island, which is the nearest seaside town, just to play DDR. And we'd go to London to. I remember coming to the Trocadero in like two thousand or something, and there were proper crews of DDR players like doing backflips, and it was just like this is amazing. Yeah, it was a bit intimidating. Oh though, yeah, wasn't it? you couldn't do it. You no, should you just watch because I had a bat. And um, I used to go and see my mate with it ro- rolled up under my arm. It felt like I was going to yoga or something, you know, <laughs> with this sort of DDR bat or whatever. And played it until I was about six months pregnant or something and sort of <laughs> gave up. But that must have been around the same era because that's yeah, when yeah, it was all yeah. kicking off. And, and there was countless peripherals and that, that was such a huge thing because it was... I, I mean, I, I romanticised this era and I've mentioned it on the show, like the kind of late 90s, early 2000s as being this explosive creation of games and i feel like part of it is maybe just because i was suddenly in the mix with a lot of people with a lot of opinions and i just learned so much and there was like a trifecta of uh, like res and ico and uh, and even like stuff like ddr and guitar man and stuff like that. games are games are and i became insufferable about like you know I was, I was your classic edge reader of like you don't understand like games are really coming into their own and they, and they really were like this was I agree. Grand Theft Auto Three and stuff came out around that time, and it was and as 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 a surprise almost. Like the only reason I knew about Grand Theft Auto Three was this epic threads on. I can't believe it was just epic. <laughs> what am I? Uh, this, but this really just giant thread on the Edge forums at the time, and it was purely just people sharing anecdotes about stuff that happened when they were playing the game. It was like how is 
and and they were all unique. And it was like this is this has never happened before in, in my knowledge. This suddenly this becomes a tool for storytelling. I had to get it. I had to get Grand Theft Auto Three, and it was like oh my god, I can do everything in this game. This is amazing. No, I think you're right. I agree. I think it was um, a really sort of fertile time. Yeah. And I think from my perspective, part of that is because there was so much connection going on with the internet because the internet you know, had kicked off by yeah, that point yeah. and people were connected and talking about it. And, Absolutely. And the PlayStation 2 was mature enough to start having that kind of game. Yeah. I mean, all those music games were just incredible, oh, though, weren't they? Absolutely I mean, like, unbelievable. I have a, this is a good story, I think. It paints me in a bit of a bad light, but it's kind of a good story. <laughs> Like, by this point, I was fully back into games. I wanted everything, but, you know, as I was... Can I just say, was the band, like, out the window now? I mean, we carried on going, but this is... The the period I got really, really back into games was as the band was kind of winding down. So the guitars picked up less and Guitar Room Man is picked up more. Absolutely, yeah. I got so invested in the games, but because, you know, I'd spent all my student loan, my fake student loan money on guitar gear, um, and I just... I worked in off-license... Because my mate Dave ran it. It was on the corner of our street, like, honestly, proper. I don't know how anyone trusted us with this, but that's what it was. And I'd work in the pub. I would DJ and stuff. But basically, I didn't have much money. That was the point. I didn't have an awful lot of money. But I, I was suddenly, like, just I wanted every game ever. And the GameCube would just come out. I was like, oh, man, I can't afford, I, I, what can I do? How, how do I get a GameCube? I don't know. I'll just read about it on the forums. It was the first time I started getting that kind of, you know, the kind of let's play feeling of like, just I can hear someone talking or I can, you know, read somebody's experience. I suppose that's good enough, but I really want one. And one day in the off license, me and Dave were closing up the shop and there was a wallet on the floor, right? And we picked up this wallet and it was completely empty uh, except for two pieces of paper. And each piece of paper had the same address written on it in Byro and 500 pounds in cash right that was all that was in it and I thought, this is weird like this is a weird thing why why are there no cards no identification there's just these two bits of paper with the same address written on it and cash like 500 pounds and um, so we were both like right what do we do here and this was in a very rough area like we got robbed at least every six weeks and not in any kind of particularly violent way it was it was almost kind of wrote matter of fact like a gang of kids to come in and just pick up crates of beer and be like all right see you later call the police same old same old and like n- never really in any peril but we were like this is probably drug money that's what we assumed and so <laughs> we just sat on it and we didn't we didn't do anything with it we just kept it and then we were like well what where's the address the address isn't far from here let's go let's go and look at the house and see if it's a drug dealer's house I don't know how we would know this, but that this was the logic <laughs> at the time. So we went to the house and we just stood across the road from it. Uh, and it was a really nice house. It had, there were three cars outside. One of them was a BMW. So we, both of us were like, it's definitely drugs. It's a BMW. It's definitely it's drug be, money. Yeah. They've got loads of money. They're not going to miss this. It's probably dirty money. We should we should just take it. We it would just be the moral it. thing. It would be the correct thing to do. <laughs> so we split it, 250 quid each. I immediately <laughs> uh, went to the shop and I bought a GameCube with uh, Mario Sunshine and Super mm. Monkey Ball. And I was just delighted. Dave sensibly just kept hold of his money for the moment. Uh, but a week after, after like just the joys of monkey tennis and monkey ball and monkey golf... Um, a woman came into the shop and asked if the if anyone had found like this black leather wallet. Um, she was a carer, 
for a guy who was uh, deaf and dumb. So he had nothing in his wallet except the address and a bunch of money. And <laughs> and Dave was like, nope, uh, nope, don't know anything about it. I've never seen it. And then came to tell me at home while I was probably sat enjoying my tennis. He's like, we need to get the money back. We need to get the money back. And I was like, fuck, I don't, I don't, I've got this. I can't return this. I mean, I could, but they're not going to give me my money back because I think I bought it secondhand or something. And I don't know how I did it, but I managed to get that money together. I must have just borrowed it. Like, I, I'm not trying to make excuses. I genuinely don't know how I got yeah. that money back, but I did. And I remember being paranoid because I'm sure it was like 50 quid and 20s when we found it. And I just had 10s and 5s, like wherever I could dig up around the house. I like, gonna, and I think when Dave gave it back, she said, oh, someone's just handed this in. So here you go. And we, we gave the wallet back. I think she was a bit like, mm. <laughs> yeah. but she gave us 20 quid. No, actually, she gave us 50 quid, um, which was very generous, like finance yeah. fee. She didn't but have to do that, did she? She didn't have to do that. No. Um, especially after we'd stolen it and I spent it all on Nintendo, goodness. So we, we managed to get it back and I kept that GameCube. That, that, and when I did eventually then go to university later that year, uh, after like taking a couple of years just being wild, that was the console. I took my GameCube with me, my GameCube yeah. that I'd stolen from a deaf and, deaf and blind man. No, I think that's, that speaks well of you, that story, because you, you did the right thing. You, you took the money off the drugs, dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, definitely. And then you money. gave the money to the guy who had the carer. So, yeah. you know, you did all the right things. And you ended up with the GameCube. And I ended up with the GameCube, which yeah. sounds like a prize to me. Oh, it was a hit. It was a hit. That and the PS2 in my university kind of flat mm-hmm. were, were a hit. And that was actually, that was when Frequency came out, which uh, was one of those other games that was like, oh, this is this is the best game in the world. And I, I was extraordinarily good at that. I had a really fierce rivalry with another guy on the edge for him at the time, all throughout university. Like, that, was my, that was my jam. I loved it. It didn't get the popularity, did it? Not really, no. no. I mean, it, it still stands up as being brilliant. And they did Amplitude, which wasn't quite as good. And they did a they did a new frequency on the PS4 earlier this year, which was good. And I have played it to death because I just I, I crave that. I find the the way they put the 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 buttons. You use the shoulder if you're really good at it. You use the shoulder buttons, right, for the three different colors. And it is it's like the it's like the tapping on a it, it's that drumming sequence. I find it really satisfying. Do you ever think? Because I think this that I mean, because I also I played piano and various instruments when I was growing up and I sometimes think that the reason that I was quite good when I started playing video games I was quite good at it and then that enabled me to get into them and then to continue was because I had quite good finger coordination and and I sort of was already into that I mean I don't know maybe I was into the piano because I had the yeah who knows but there's some there's some sort of link there I think oh definitely but I have always thought what if I don't know I'd had amazing video games and not a piano ever near me, or I would never have learnt that. So, so what I'm getting round to saying, in a way, is like, would you ever even have been in the band if you'd had frequency or amplitude or anything like oh, this? That's interesting. In the first place, I think so because I got to be on a stage. Yeah, but you can just do that jam. in Guitar Hero, can't you? It's not the same. And and as much as I deeply love Rock Band, like I think Rock Band, I've probably played more than any game ever. It taught me how to play the drums. I'm a fairly proficient drummer, thanks to Rock Band. Uh, and it has the very best incentive for playing well, which is... And it's not on all songs, but you, you'll discover it if you're good enough. 
when you're really nailing a specific song on Rock Band, the crowd joins in. And it's it's just amazing. Very personal to me, I guess. But when you you're playing on the hardest difficulty and you just get it so good that the crowd joins in, it's it's amazing. That's the closest I've got to that kind of sensation of playing a, a really good gig and just getting that feeling. So I think this is a good point to interject with some quick fire questions. Oh, okay, okay, let's do okay, it. Okay, is that okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's the game you're best at? Probably the new frequency. Or actually any frequency. I'm really good at frequency. And even to the point where if you just throw a new song at me, I'll probably be able to do it first try on the hardest difficulty. Like I'm really, I'm, re- I'm going to say frequency. Or frequency, amplitude, rock band blitz, any of those kind of various versions. So that's the game you play with the devil for your immortal soul? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. You see a safe. Just tapping the shoulder buttons. That'd be amazing. <laughs> Uh, what about your chicken soup game? What game do you go to when you need sort of a bit of comfort? Do you know, it's kind of the same thing. Is is those kind of games? Like I've noticed a type of game that I find incredibly comforting, and this maybe are games that you can do perfectly. So something like a frequency or an amplitude or a rock band or something, there is a perfect run through that, and I find just cycling through that very very enjoyable and. Pac-Man Championship Edition, I think, or Championship Edition DX, there is a perfect run you can do through the maze. And I find just kind of looping that, like, oh, really enjoyable. And Tony Hawk's, actually. That's where that question comes from, is because that was a really difficult time in my life. I was really lonely. My dad had died. I didn't know what I was doing with my life. So I was like, well, I've got Tony Hawk's, and I'm really good at that, and I know exactly what I need to do to get the high score, so retrying to perfect something i find that really really satisfying so i'm guessing that's the game you spent the most time playing as well that or rock band and rock band kind of both as a group and on my own as well uh, yeah they're just they're amazing fondest memories of games played with other people rock band rock bands yeah just literally just like two weeks ago um we we all i say we all like you know who they are Uh, Me and my friend Ben and my friend Raph and uh, Dave and Dave went to a cottage in the Highlands and just, we we do it once a year just to hang out and, you know, everyone's old and married and have kids and stuff. It's an easy way to do it. And we we reformed Ralph and the Two Squids as our rock band band that we've played for years. And it was amazing still. Never gets old. Yeah, I remember Raph talking about rock band uh, a few years back. There was a big phase, wasn't there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's never really stopped. It's just yeah. we've all got old and busy. <laughs> and do you play games as much nowadays? Yeah, I really do, yeah. I'm sure I've mentioned this on the show. Like, I find the guilt overtakes me a little bit more now. I find it hard to justify just playing something for ages. If I'm playing more than an hour or two, I'm like, oh, that's too much. And the intersection of how much I enjoy it versus how guilty I feel that I should be doing something else. Kind of the balance isn't good enough. So an hour or two, maybe, and then I feel like I should do something else. But I definitely do still play. Now, here's a question, actually, that you don't ask, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Do are there any sort of games or genres of games that you despise? That's interesting. Oh, <laughs> I could make myself very unpopular here. No, I'm just wondering, because maybe you don't ask that question because there aren't any that you despise. Yeah, no, there generally isn't. But, and, and I, I actually, no, I've mentioned this on the show before, so it's, I don't think it's particularly controversial. I'm a, I'm a writer. Like, I write stories. I write plays and screenplays and TV shows. Like, I love stories. I'm obsessed with stories. I have never in my life gone to a game for the story. Like, that is, that is just not something I, I care 
about in games. So you do that click through the cutscenes and things? Yeah, most games. When, when a game can do a story through the game, it's amazing. So Ico is one of the biggest examples. Like That is a sensational piece of storytelling. Like The fact you, you know, press R1 to hold hands and you feel the heartbeat through the pad and you see the the kind of the labyrinth of the castle before you when you're up high and you go down low. It's a different sensation. Like we were talking about this before we started recording about like VR and stuff, like how I see stuff like theatre and film and TV as a, a, an incredibly hypnotic thing. It, it's a it's a state you go into, going into a dark room with a bunch of people and being hypnotised and completely letting yourself go. Whereas when you're playing a game, when you're in control, you can't do that. It always feels like a hindrance to me. It's like, no, I want... Where's the game? Where, where do I do things, you know? And some games have done that amazingly well, like have kind of balanced that really well. I've spoken to countless kind of narrative designers and stuff. I, like, I, I don't... I'm not, I'm not dismissing that as a, as a medium, but I just... It's like good writing and good narrative design is brilliant, but it's it's not what I play games for, you know. Yeah, is I mean, okay? I find that quite surprising, um, and you have mentioned that before, and I found it surprising then. But I guess, yeah, it makes sense that that's not what you're going to a game for. That's like the secondary no. thing. More quick fire questions? Sorry, yeah, these are never quick fire. <laughs> they never are, anyway. <laughs> never no, are. that's a, tradi- a tradition, <laughs> isn't it? Um, okay, what is the game that has caused the most arguments? Hmm. I am quite aggressive. I, I tend to shout and swear a lot when I'm playing games. I'm generally quite a quiet, mild mannered person, so people are sometimes quite surprised how, how vitriolic and uh, profane I can get. But I don't think there's ever been like big arguments over a game. Not that I can think of. But you came up with this question. It must have I been know, inspired I know. from somewhere. Yeah. Oh God! Don't, don't now put you've that told back me. On me. You see. <laughs> um, no, do you know? I don't think so. I, I think that came from watching people on the internet argue about games. So I'm like, well, other people seem to care about that. But like, it's a, it's a fun thing. It's a fun thing to do. I, I I've never understood the whole like my console's better than your console and like oh you didn't even finish the game how can you review it it's like why do you care yeah. who cares they can like, all be good consoles yeah i just yeah. I, I, i've never the kind of the, the the angry nerds sort of side of, of video game fans and i guess any kind of cultural fandoms it's all just fluff that we make up to make ourselves enjoy life a bit more and appreciate things a bit more it's nobody's getting angry about it so you haven't rage quit then either Oh well, I mean that's different because that's that's the game frustrating you. Um, I, when I was a kid, I was really bad, and I think back, and uh, I, I, I'm assuming my parents must never have seen this because, like, it's thinking back to this sort of nine, ten year old kid, like I would punch, I would punch the wall, I would punch my legs, I would punch my head, like proper, like imagine that walking on your kids, like argh, like punching themselves in the head. Because I, I, I guess I was really quiet. I wasn't a shouter, so just it was almost like a like something out of like an anime. Like I just all this rage just like suddenly just go right back in me, no noise, and then just one horrific punch to a wall or do you think my that's leg. like um it's like a teenage mood thing that do you, I mean I don't know because when I was like as a teenager, I don't remember being. I was very moody, but I wasn't like never anger. I never had that kind. Of, I've never had that kind of anger in me. I mean, I do get angry, but it's always quite kind of... It's a flare, and then it's gone. It's like a very, very short-lived. I don't hold on to stuff. 
but yeah, as a kid, I mean, partly because games are so frustrating when you're that age, you know, they're all just like, everything was infuriating, so I would be like, right. Well, and because you're so excited and... Yeah, I suppose it's a new experience for me, Mm -hmm. but since then, no, I don't really, I haven't, I don't remember any rage quits since then, I tend to just stop playing them. Just calmly put the pad down. (laughs) Never broken anything as far as I know. Step back. Have a carving glass of water. I do though. This is interesting. I do sometimes rage play. Um, That's a thing I get. Like especially with with rock band with the drums. Like if I have, like I've never put away my rock band drums. They're always somewhere in my flat because I I might need them. Like you know I, I. I write, so I pitch a lot of stuff. Most stuff gets rejected. Sometimes if there's a really big thing that I'm really excited about that I get knocked back from, just drumming that anger and frustration away is just, it's the best. Like, it's it's genuinely makes me feel so much better to properly, like, batter the drums for about 10 minutes and I'm like, okay, I'm okay now. I feel, I feel like that's quite productive. So I, I rage play sometimes, but I don't rage quit. You should have put that as a question to people. I should. I <laughs> Do should. you ever rage play? <laughs> that sounds like a thing, though. That's probably some kink that I'm not aware of that certain people might be into. I don't know. It's a, it's a hot new thing. Yeah, yeah, rage play. <laughs> so I guess we've probably got to that point where we need to talk about checkpoints and what's going on with it. So, oh, what? Why? Oh, don't. No, I don't even make me upset. Why? Why, um, Declan? Right, okay. So, there's a couple of reasons. The The main reason is I, I don't have as much time as I once had. When I first started it, I had much more free time than I do now. And that's, that's good. That means that's because other things in my life are going better. So, I just don't have the time to. Uh, to work on the show as much and a big part of it as well and this is uh i was going to save this for the coder but i'll I'll do it now when i first started doing the show when i first had the idea for the show which is i mean it's not a clever idea it's a total ripoff of a show called all back to mine which is the hipster version of desert island discs um but all back to mine was about speaking to musicians and talking like all back to mine was like going back to someone's house after the club and you go through their record collection like oh why have you got this record or why do you like this record and seeing if you could trace the records people loved to the music that they make that was the idea of checkpoints like see if you could trace those lineages and so and and that show didn't exist nobody was doing that so i'm gonna i'm gonna make that show like there, there is there's not enough sort of shows about kind of the people who make games and not because I'm not someone who makes games. I have no programming knowledge or very basic programming knowledge. I wanted the, the social and the cultural stories behind it. Like, like me as a teenager playing, getting back into games because my dad had died and Tony Hawk's is very therapeutic. Like that, that's, that's a good story. Other people must have stories like that. I'm going to start this show. And so I wrote up a list of, everyone that I would like to speak to, like just off the top of my head. Um, and it, I don't know, it was maybe 130, 140 people. Um, maybe not even that many. I don't know. I'll need to check. And I added to it over time. So as I've been doing the show, I've, I've been introduced to other people through other people. I'm like, oh, that's really interesting. And, and, you know, because of the kind of indie renaissance at the moment, there's lots of people around the world making stuff. So I want to speak to those people. If I hear about that game, I want to do that. But there was always a core kind of, I'd say, at least 100 people that I wanted to speak to. 
And aside from maybe, I'd say maybe 10 people that I, I couldn't get in touch with or that weren't interested or we couldn't find the time, um, I've spoken to most of those people. I was like, well, that's... So the fact that I kind of... I was I was coming to a stage where I was starting to be like, right, who do I speak to? Like, I, I, my list has run out. I need, I need to find new people. Coupled with the fact that I don't really have as much time as I used to and that I was coming up to 128 and that's a really nice geeky number to finish on. I thought, well, let's let's just get to 128 and then we'll just stop. And spoilers, all of the guests that I've spoken to, this is my list. Like these are the people that shape my life. So like this has been my checkpoints all along, you know, that's, that's the story of it. Like the role they played as a person in my life or the games that they've made have played a part in my life so that's to finish it with that and say like okay this is this, these are my checkpoints that's the end it's a really fucking narcissistic self-aggrandizing thing to say but that 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 is what it is like that's that's how it works i just think it's an amazing plot twist what a great ending is, that yeah is how it is yeah we hate ambiguous endings don't we <laughs> yeah i should think of something else to do now i think you can cut this if you want okay I think that you should continue making checkpoints in a kind of an anthologizing way. So you should maybe kind of just rerun the old episodes with some some, some clips, some context or something. Okay. I might do that. I was I, I was thinking about just restarting from the beginning and just doing like one a week every week just oh that's even better actually you should because like there are people who don't dig back into the and itunes um, only goes to the last 100 so yes it does there's like 28 that are missing so yes i wondered where they were yeah i'm a bit of a loss now because i don't actually i feel a bit sad that it's all coming to an end and the moment that this particular episode ends that's like it isn't it don't say that no so what do we do just keep talking we can't keep talking forever (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> let's uh chink glasses maybe cheers okay two two to the future the future yeah no, that's a bit <laughs> no that's tentative. rubbish let's do a better let's do a better how are we gonna end this i don't know i'm feeling really sad it doesn't it doesn't have to be it's not it's not a sad thing let's okay, say that right, right. Okay, it's not okay. a sad thing but we should cheers yeah, but okay. firstly i like I, I need to say thanks to violet for doing oh no this i need to thank you don't i have to thank you well thank you for inviting me on to interview you for the very now, I keep saying that it's the very last one. Yeah, I mean, it maybe is, but that's okay. Okay. So. Let's keep it ambiguous. Okay. So. Actually, no, let's not keep it ambiguous because okay. then people will be like, it's okay. not proper ending. All right. We'll have to like edit this a bit because it's like, I don't know how to no, do No, I'm that. really I into thought it. Ahead. I'm really into the kind of chaotic ending of just like, maybe we just cut it at some point. Like, <laughs> yeah. no, this is. We how need to just end stop. It? Plug it out. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I should have thought ahead. No, but I genuinely goodbyes. though, I hate goodbyes. We don't need to do a goodbye. I, I, I genuinely want to say thanks because I'm, I'm doing this uh, in, in Violet's living room. Like she's kindly invited me over to record this, and there's, there's been very few episodes that I've, I've done live, uh, which is, it's, it's a weird sensation. But it's quite, it's quite fun. It feels slightly more uh, intimate. Um, like, and also, the gear is better. When I've done it live before, I've literally used a rock band mic for the other person. So. It's hopefully the same way better. But thanks, like this has been so much fun, and also thanks to everyone who's been on the show because it's really nerve wracking. Like I wasn't expecting to be as nervous as, as I was doing it. Well, to checkpoints. To checkpoints. Ow! <laughs> that was, <laughs> that was way so loud, wasn't it? Yay! There we go. We did it. 
Well, we did it. Um, again, massive thanks to Violet for taking the time to to record that with me. It was so good. Like I was, I can't stress enough how nervous I was uh, both during the recording and then afterwards, just like worrying, like what did I say? Did I come across as a total dick? Oh my god! Like constantly second guessing everything I'd done. And then when Violet sent me the edit, uh, I was really thrilled. Like she's a she's an excellent editor. Uh, I just want to take a moment to do some uh, corrections. There's a point in the show where I talk about uh, Zach Gage not playing puzzle games. I meant Zach Barth, um, which I realized listening back. And I did try and kind of edit that myself, but it's it's super hard because it's already all mixed and edited. Um, and it would sound like I just butted in and said, actually, <laughs> I think what you meant to say. Uh, so that I just mentioned that here. And also I talked about going, this, this is for like a very select audience, but... I mentioned going away with some friends for the weekend and I mentioned Ben and uh, Raf and Dave and Dave and I didn't mention Craig so sorry Craig uh, Craig actually makes the artwork for the show as well so I really should have I really should have done that I felt really bad uh, so this is your your shout out so a huge thanks to Violet huge thanks to Craig and Sam who made the music and honestly a huge thanks to all of you for listening um, this has been such a treat and hopefully with this kind of final coda you'll realize why i felt this was a a good time to to end it um but who knows i may be back one day or you know all being well uh you'll get a chance to watch or listen to some uh, some things i've written for the the tv or the radio or the the stage um but for now though uh this has been an absolute treat um and i'm gonna i'm gonna go now <laughs> you're the best Bye.